Uh, so we're continuing in our Genesis series, uh, and we are in Genesis chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 17, and continuing on through chapter 5, uh, the whole chapter 5. And just structurally, uh, before I read the passage, um, this follows right after uh, what we covered last week, uh, the murder of Abel by Cain. And um, in, from a global perspective, it's within the first, what people call toledot uh, in Genesis. And toledot is the phrase that starts with, uh, this is the account of, or this is the history of, and then you have either a genealogy or within, uh, attached to the gene genealogy, you'll have an extended narrative or story about uh, the people of God, about this line. Um, and so this first Toledot uh, began in Genesis 2, verse 4, if you remember, uh, right before the second creation account in Genesis where uh, it starts off. And this is the account of the heavens and the earth being created. So uh, God's very own creation, God's very own genealogy, where the story begins. This is the account of creation. And it actually ends... Uh, with the end of chapter 4, um, where it says uh, in 2025, 20, Adam knew his wife intimately again, and she, be, she gave birth to a son she named Seth, because God has given me another child in place of Abel, whom Cain killed. Seth also fathered a son and named him Enosh. At that time, people began to worship in the Lord's name. And so even in itself, those two bookmarks, right? This is the account of the creation of the heavens and the earth, and you, we get this story of, uh, this zoomed-in story of God creating humanity, right, Adam and Eve, and saying, this is very good. But then you also, in chapter 3, get the introduction of sin and rebellion and the fall. Um, but then this, this, this bookmark ends, not bookmark, what do you call those? Bookends. Bookends, there you go. The bookends end uh, with this phrase of redemption. Right? Sin has entered. Uh, Abel has been murdered, but uh, Adam and Eve have this third son, Seth. And he's named um, because God you know, wants to heal, wants to redeem, wants to replace Seth who was taken, or uh, Abel who has been taken by Seth. So uh, when you read the scriptures, there's a lot of beautiful pattern and beautiful imagery. And there's a lot of good things uh, when it comes to names, right? When you name, uh, names in the Bible have meaning, and we should pay attention to names because uh, they tell uh, a piece of the bigger story of what God is doing, what, how people are responding and worshiping God. And we see in the birth of Seth that there is an element with, with Seth coming into the world of Adam and Eve recognizing Oh, here is a grace. Here is God bringing us a gift of redemption. In the midst of this tragedy, in the midst of the worst thing in the world that could happen to us, even so, God is continuing to write the story, rewrite um, the story when sin is entering and trying to tell a different story. Are you with me? Amen. So uh, I wanted to ask you guys to pray for me um, because earlier this week, uh, in a meeting, someone said, are you asking people to pray for you in your church? 
and are you doing that often? And I'm like, no, I'm not doing that. So ask you uh, to pray for Pastor Dave, to pray for your pastor, and also for my family, uh, and specifically for my children. Um, I'm a pastor's kid, a PK, and you know, all the stories about being a pastor's kid, a PK, they turn out the worst. They're like the most evil. They're like the cane, living canes on the earth. And um, it's difficult, and I think there's a lot of dynamics that go into that. Um, being the child of someone who's committed to the church, committed to like loving a community. Um, for me, growing up, there was a lot of image stuff, like I have to do this, I have to be at church, I have to be good. You know, all eyes are on me, all eyes are on our family. And there's a certain amount of kind of rebellion against that um, um, pressure. And so I think about my children, um, and I think about Isaiah and Cammie. Um, every time they run around and they scream, I'm like, something in me like gets tense, like, oh my God, the pastor kid are being the biggest distraction. You know, like, and that, I can see how that can play out, right, in how I communicate with them and how I say, this is how you need to behave, you know, when you're at church. You can do whatever you want at home, but at church, it's about making me look good, right? Uh, but... Even though I'm not intentionally like that, it comes out. And so I worry about my children. I worry about them being the worst kids, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but I know that uh, prayers, right? I covet your prayers and prayers for my family and prayers for myself. Because um, I'm today wearing my shirt, Leave Legacy, right? And uh, it's good to think about that sometimes, even if you're not parents. Uh, what is my legacy what is uh, the legacy of my family right where have I come from and where am I going right what what about my family sticks out like what what is the story of my family and what are we known for right is it is the story of your family uh, a thing to celebrate like my family is awesome right we celebrate family reunions and birthdays we're really tight over the holidays, my father and mother taught me, you know, to care for the poor, care for the sick. We made it a tradition to uh, feed the homeless or whatever. Um, or maybe your story, your family story is a tragedy, right? It's full of broken relationships, maybe divorce, maybe infidelity, maybe abuse, right? And there's a lot of things that you want to forget about your family heritage. Um, and then if you're parents and you have children or you're thinking about being parents or you wanna be a parent someday, right, what do I wanna pass on to my children? What values do I wanna pass on to my children? What traits do I wanna pass on to my children? And I was thinking about this and um, I think about what I focus on as a father. Like, what kind of legacy do I wanna leave with my children. And it's very secular when I think about what I obsess about in terms of my kids, right? I want Isaiah to be the best soccer player on his Seattle United team, right? I want him to be the best. I want him to be the most articulate boy in the world and be the smartest, the best spelling bee person in his class. I want Cammy to be, I don't know, uh, <laughs> better than Isaiah, right? 
right? The, the cutest girl in the world and uh, all of these things. And then I stop and I feel kind of ashamed because I'm like, none of that had to do with right, the kingdom of God or faith in their life. I want Isaiah uh, to be a man of prayer, right? That he would care about the world, he would care about the people around him, and that he would pray. Or I want Cameron to be um, a woman of grace who has compassion for those who um, are suffering and would want to extend the love of Christ to them, right? All of my thoughts are, you know, what the world puts in me, like that they succeed, that they have achievement, right? That they leave a legacy and make me look good, right? Make their parents look good and not look bad. And those are like all like sins of the father, generational sin, right? My, my parents before me wanted me to be best quality child, right? They bragged to their friends. Uh, oh, David's such a good boy. He's good at football or he's good at this or he's good at that. Um, usually they weren't bragging to my parents or to their friends. But uh, those are generational type things. And so the question remains what kind of legacy um, are we leaving? And what kind of legacy are we, have we been a part of? And, and I'm here to say, and I think the scripture in Genesis has been proclaiming the gospel, the good news, that God, whatever your story is, and whatever the legacy of your family, or whatever the patterns and the generational sins, uh, God is good, and God can continually recreate, recreate, right? He doesn't just say, oh, he creates it, oh, and that's very good. But once there's a black mark, oh, get away, right? I can't do anything about that. I'm not that powerful of a God that can turn sin, right, can turn ashes into beauty and turn around sin. I'm not that powerful of a God. No, our God is more powerful and more loving than everything, right? If he creates once, he can recreate again. Amen? That is our God. He's not limited to perfection one time, right? It's like it snowed, and no one has walked on it. No dogs have gone pee-pee on the snow. It's just perfectly white and smooth until all the kids go on and all the dogs play on it. And once that's ruined, it's ruined forever. No. Right? We have tread upon the snow, right? We've darkened it. We've molested it. Sin has just busted everything up. But God can look at that mess and chaos and say, I've done it before. I spoke a word into chaos and brought new life. And I can do it again. I can look into chaos and mess and I can speak a word and bring beauty again. Amen? And that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Um, so with that, I'm going to read um, beginning at chapter 4, verse 17. And you guys are immediately going to be like, check out as I read this passage. Because we all check out, right? When you get to that part in scripture where there's long genealogies, or when you do a Bible study and you have to be the one to read the, all, the list of names, you're like, oh, I hope it doesn't get to me when all those names come up because I'm going to look like a fool for having to pronounce all of these things, right? Uh, 
And when you get to that part in the Bible, you always pass over it, right? You're like, yeah, 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 yeah. Something begat someone, someone begat someone, someone begat someone. Let's move on. Let's get to the meat of it. And so you guys are going to check out, which is okay. Sometimes I'll get really loud to wake you up. Um, but as I read it, just pay attention to the names and pay attention to... Um, there'll be little, like, side notes, right? Pay attention to the side notes because... The naming, the list of names in the genealogy of the Toledot itself is part of the story of Scripture. It's part of what's happening. Um, so, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 4, Cain knew his wife intimately. She became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain built a city and named the city after his son, Enoch. Erad was born to Enoch. Erad fathered Mehujael, and Mehujael fathered Methushael. And Methushael, I, I should have had someone read this. <laughs> Father Lamech. Lamech took two wives, the first name Adah and the second Zillah. Adah gave birth to Jabal. He was the ancestors of those who lived in tents and owned livestock. His brother's name was Jubal, and he was ancestors of those who played stringed and wind instruments. Zillah also gave birth to Tubal Cain the ancestor of blacksmiths and all artisans of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, listen to my voice, wives of Lamech. Pay attention to my words. I killed a man for wounding me, a boy for striking me. So Cain will be paid back seven times and Lamech 77 times. Adam knew his wife intimately again and she gave birth to a son. She named him Seth, because God has given me another child in place of Abel, whom Cain has killed. Seth also fathered a son and named him Enosh. At that time, people began to worship in the Lord's name. Genesis 5. This is the re record of Adam's descendants. On the day God created humanity, he made them to resemble God and created them male and female. He blessed them and called them humanity on the day they were created. When Adam was 130 years old, he came to the father of a son in his image, resembling him. He became the father of a son in his image, resembling him, and named him Seth. After Seth's birth, Adam lived 800 years. He had other sons and daughters. In all, Adam lived 930 years, and he died. Wow, people are living a long time here. When Seth was 105 years old, he began, became the father of Enosh. After the birth of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years, and he had other sons and daughters. In all, Seth lived 912 years, and he died. When Enosh was 90 years old, he became the father of Kenan. After Kenan's birth, Enosh lived 815 years, and he had other sons and daughters. In all, Enosh lived 905 years, and he died. When Kenan was 70 years old, he became the father of Mahalalel. After the birth of Mahalalel, Kenan lived 840 years, and he had other sons and daughters. In all, Kenan lived 910 years, and he died. When Mahalalel was 65 years old, he became the father of Jared. After Jared's birth, Mahalalel lived 830 years, and he had other sons and daughters. In all, Mahalelo lived 895 years, and he died. 
When Jared was 162 years old, he became the father of Enoch. After Enoch's birth, Jared lived 800 years, and he had sons and daughters. In all, Jared lived 962 years, and he died. When Enoch was 65 years old, he became the father of Methuselah. Enoch walked with God. After Methuselah's birth, Enoch lived 300 years, and he had other sons and daughters. In all, Enoch lived 365 years. Enoch walked with God and disappeared because God took him. When Methuselah was 187 years old, he became the father of Lamech. After Lamech's birth, Methuselah lived 782 years, and he had other sons and daughters. In all, Methuselah lived 960 years, and he died. When Lamech was 182 years old, he became the father of a son and named him Noah, saying, This one will give us relief from our hard work, from the pain in our hands, because the fertile land that the Lord cursed. After Noah's birth, Lamech lived 595 years, and he had other sons and daughters. In all, Lamech lived 777 years, and he died. When Noah was 500 years old, Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So the first thing to note is, uh, beginning in Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 5, in verse 1, it says, this is the record, and this, again, should trigger, right, the Toledoth uh, phrase. This is the account, this is the record of Adam's descendants. So we're beginning another Toledoth section, um, uh, and it begins with Adam's descendant, Seth, and the record of that line. And so, if you hit the next slide... So what, what we see that's breaking out here um, at the end of chapter 4 in the beginning and, and then through chapter 5 is two family lines. Um, and because they're juxtaposed right next to each other, even though they're in two separate kind of Toledot sections, uh, we naturally want to compare them. Right? Here's the line of Cain and here's the line of Seth. Uh, two family lines. And... Um, the thing about Cain's line is, um, in the story of Cain and Abel, right, God curses Cain because he murders his brother. But on top of cursing Cain, right, and kicking him out of the garden, saying, you are going to toil the land, but nothing is, you aren't going to be fruitful. So you are destined to be a restless wanderer in the land. And Cain's like, I can't take this any longer. Right, so God says, hey, I'm going to put a mark on you called the mark of Cain. And if anyone kills you or hurts you, I'm going to avenge that. I'm going to avenge your death, right? And they're going to suffer um, a worse death and for many generations to come. So we talked about how though there was a curse, right, there is also an element of grace, right, of relief from God. The mark of Cain as a mark of grace. Yes, you're cursed, yes, you're destined to wander, but also, right, you will not die. And that echoes back to God's grace extended to Adam and Eve, right? You will, you will surely die if you eat of this fruit. Did they die? No, they did not surely die. God, in fact, made them clothes out of leaves, right? As, a, as kind of a show of his grace and his willingness to continue the story. Um, so... Uh, but as we read in the chapter 4, there's that mix of kind of 
The curse is extending from generation to generation in Cain's family line. And, and that piece of grace and like, oh, there, he is still blessed. Cain is still blessed. His family line is still blessed because his people are prosperous, right? It says in the passage itself that he built a city and named it after his son Enoch. Right? He's able, he's, he's prospering so much to the point that he's able to build a city for his son and name it after a city, right? And then you go on further and you see that, oh, this, this son, this descendant, right, was the father of those who played stringed instruments and wind instruments, right? Musicians were born. The, the orchestra was born over there, right? Um, the violinists and the oboe players. Is that a wind instrument? Yeah. Stringed and wind instruments. I don't know if they called it those back in those days. Um, uh, you also see that uh, Adol, in verse 20, Adol gave birth to Jabal, and he was the ancestors of those who lived in tents and owned livestock. Right? So they are living the nomadic, wandering lifestyle, but they're making the best of it. They're making tents that are movable, you know, dwelling structures, right? And they're able to live in tents and own, not just go wander around and hunt animals, but to own livestock, right? They're hurt. They're beginning to hurt. So there's success and there's prosperity. There's fruitfulness um, in Cain's line. Uh, Tubal Cain. I keep thinking Kublai Khan when I read that, but it's Tubal Cain. Tubal Cain, right? became the ancestors of blacksmiths and all artisans of bronze and iron, right? Blacksmiths are the ones who create tools, right, from metal, um, are able to, right, you see civilization progressing, the city life and the commerce, the economics of a city uh, progressing here. And also artisans, not just blacksmiths who shape things, tools that are for practical purposes, but people who take bronze and iron and our artisans, they make beautiful things out of it. You see uh, the beginnings of art. And you've heard that art is, um, you can say that art is the measure of a civilization, right? When people are producing art, that's like the pinnacle of our being in the image of God in terms of creativity and creating things. So there's this mix, there's this prosperity going on. Um, but if you see, at the end, you see Lamech, right? And you're like, oh, Lamech is there to remind us that that sin of Cain, that darkness, the violence that was part of Cain's kind of life is still extending in his gene pool, right? Lamech. Uh, one is that the simple point that Lamech took two wives. And I don't know if this was good or bad, if this was a sin, Right? But if you look through the Old Testament, like a lot of people had many wives. Right? King David had many wives. Uh, but we also see that when people take multiple wives, there's a lot of dysfunction that happens. And that's, that makes sense. But just insert, Lamech took two wives. It, the writer just makes a point of bringing that up. Right? It's no longer right? Blood, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. Right? There's two partners. Um, and Lamech liked to say to his wives, right, I'm the man, right? Adah and Zillah, listen to my voice. And you see music in the background. 
Let me tell you what kind of man you're married to. Pay attention to my words. I killed a man for wounding me, a boy for striking me. Right? So Cain will be paid back seven times and Lamech 77 times. And what do you think is going on here? Here is a man who is bragging about who he's killed. He's bragging about killing a man. He's bragging about wounding a child, right, who spoke against him. And he's taking God's mark of Cain, right? It's one, harking back to the sin of Cain and then the mark of God put on him. And he's saying, well, the mark of Cain, that's seven times. For me, the mark of lament, that's going to be 77 times. Basically, he's saying, if you mess with me, right? God said, if, there's kind of a twist in the words, right? God said, if you mess with Cain, you're going to get it seven times over. The emphasis is not on Cain's sin, right, and rebellion. The emphasis is on uh, kind of uh, the free pass, right? God gave Cain a free pass, and he said, if you mess with Cain, you're going to be avenged. He's going to be avenged seven times. Well, what? guess what? I'm 77 times. You mess with me, right? You're going to get it 77 times over. So how would you kind of define the character of Lamech just from the wor these words? It's marked by uh, violence, a celebration of violence, right? And braggadocio, right? Just bragging. And one would say hubris, right? Like, I, look at what I can do. Look at who I am. And if we trace Genesis, you know, 1 through 11, beginning with the fall, um, the serpent's lie, the serpent's manipulation and lie is an, essentially what is, is this what God really said to you, right? One, to doubt the word of God spoken to Adam and Eve. Did God really say this? Right? And that's, that's the beginning, kind of like the beginning of the wedge, saying that the inception is, God didn't really say, did you really hear him right? right? And then when he, when he enters, the, when he puts that doubt in, he adds, no, God doesn't want you to eat of that fruit because the reason why he doesn't want to eat, you to eat of that fruit is he doesn't want you to be like him, right? He doesn't want you to be like God, right? So the serpent is putting the, this idea that God is someone who wants to glorify himself and doesn't, wants to be sure that no one else can be like him. Does that make sense? It's the twisting of the word, right? And that is the sin that's continuing, right? That we can be like God, right? And so as Cain has a son Enoch and builds a city and names it after him, right? It's not a city named after God or worshiping God or glorifying God, right? It's a city named after his son. Look at this city I've built. And my legacy, my legacy, look at my legacy, Cain's legacy. 
I'm not a west, restless wanderer anymore. I'm not cursed anymore. This is the fruit of my toil, right? This is the fruit of my toil, and I made it without God. It doesn't matter. And Lamech, you hear that in his song, like, look at me, right? Look at who I killed. Don't mess with me. It's not, oh, God is so gracious upon our family. He's, he's made a way so that we would not die. Instead, he's like, don't mess with me or you will die. Right? Do you see the flip there? Did God really say this? Right? You can be like God. And we'll see this in uh, chapter 11 or chapter 10 uh, with Babel. Right? What happens at Babel is people are elevating the city. Right? The cities are forming. And I don't think scripture is saying the city itself is bad, right? Evil in of itself is counter God. It's saying cities that are built without God are wrong, right? You need to be walking with God in what you build, right? You need to be with God as you're building something. Cities that are built to elevate humanity, that's off. And so, as people are trying in their building and their striving, trying to be like God, that's, that's when sin is multiplying. Because we're not supposed to be like God. Right? The irony is, what Genesis says is, we are the image of God. Does that make sense? We're already the image of God. And I don't know if you remember in reading chapter 5, that's, that's the refrain, right? Seth uh, was born to Adam, and he was in the image of Adam, right? He resembled Adam. And then the next guy, I forgot the name of the guy, but was born in the image of his father. He resembled his father. So this kind of God's, uh, how, do you, how do you say it? The, those who walk with God, who are in the image of God, they are having children, they are being fruitful and multiplying, and their children are described as having the image of their parents, resembling their parents. So this, this way of fruitfulness that is in the way of God, in the image of God, in being who we are naturally, right? So really what sin is, is being unnatural, right? To be with God is to be naturally who we are, and that we are image bearers of God. We are the image bearers of God. And yet, we deny that identity and we say, I need to be like God, right? And we're so insecure about how we're not like God, how, we're, how we lack, how we're empty, how we're not quite that way, that we strive and strive and kill and murder. We're envious and we're jealous Right? We manipulate. We do anything that we can to get that which we feel we lack. But God's like, you are already my image. Can anyone resonate with this? Raise your hand. Let's put it another way. I'm not beautiful. No one loves me. I am incapable of being loved. I'm ugly. And God's like, 
You are my child. You are the Im my image. You are beautiful. No, no. Magdal looks so much better than me. So I'm gonna kick his nose in so that his nose looks ugly. Right, mirror, mirror on the wall. And we strive and we try to take for ourselves that which is already ours, our identity. Are you with me, church? Amen. Amen. Awesome. Um, Enoch. Uh, another cool thing. I'm not going to go through like the cool things in this genealogy like exhaustively because... We don't have enough time and you'll be bored or whatever. But some things that I thought cool, if you, when I was reading these, this section, you know, certain names just popped up to me because they sounded like other names, right? So uh, obviously Enoch is in Cain's line. There's an Enoch in Seth's line. They're two different guys, same name. Uh, Lamech is in Cain's line. Lamech is in Seth's line, two different guys. Two different results, two different kind of characters. Um, and then uh, number five in Seth's line, Mahalil, <laughs> sounds like number five, Mahajal, right? And then and number six, Methushael, and Methuselah, number eight in Seth's line. So obviously there is some sort of comparison being made, right? There, they're not the same people, but they sound the same, and those two lines are side by side in scripture. So we're seeing two different family lines, and we're seeing that the writer is perhaps pushing us, wanting the reader to make a comparison. Right? This is the difference between a line that is wrestling with sin, and wrestling with the curse, and not responding well, and a line that is in the image of God, and in communion with God, and continuing God's kind of line, um, uh, covenant line. Right? And one of the phrases we read right after the birth of Seth was, and this, at this time is when people first called upon the name of the Lord. And Lord there, if you remember, is Yahweh, right? Yahweh the covenant God, the personal name for God. This is a, at this time when Seth was born, people began to call on Yahweh. And worship him, right? Uh, and so you have people who are worshiping God, right? And you are you, uh, you have people who are perhaps worshiping the work of their hands, worshiping themselves. And that's Seth, that's Cain and Abel, right? How are we bringing our offering to God? What is our worship to be defined at? at? Um, Another thing, the two Enochs, uh, well, hold on. So the seventh position is the honored position in the family line. So Lamech holds the seventh position in the Canaanite line, Canaanite, Canaanite line. Um, and Enoch holds the seventh position in the Seth line. So if you just took a comparison between Cain, Lamech, and Seth, Enoch, um, Obviously, we talked about Lamech. Lamech is the guy who was bragging about killing people and took two wives. Uh, Enoch, in Seth's line, is the man who 
disappeared. Right? It just said he disappeared because God snatched him away. Right? He walked, and it also described him as walking with God. So his, he fellowshiped with God, he walked with God, and we're to assume that God liked him so much, like, let's just hang out forever, right? He just took him out, and people were like, where'd, La- where'd Lamech go? Right? Oh my gosh, right? And so you see that, uh, that I think this is done purposefully. You take the seventh position, on the one side, just this sheer evil, right? One who celebrates murder and violence. Versus Lamech, one who walks with God and is snatched, snatched away by God. Um, and then Lamech, we see, uh, is the father of Noah. Right? The father of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, Noah is the, a righteous person. But you also see a foreshadowing, right? Oh, when you think Noah, what do you think of? Noah, right? A righteous person, but... There was evil all throughout the world, right? And that's when God sends the flood. So we'll probably talk about that in the future. But there's this kind of cosmic battle, if you will, between sin now and God's redemptive purposes. And sin is increasing. At the same time, God is getting more creative in how he's going to, like, restore the problem, fix the problem of sin in the world and he uses people and he tells the story of these family lines to kind of highlight oh here are righteous people and here are people who are wrestling um, in their response to the curse so what does this mean for us the question that I want us to ask, and we'll take some time to reflect upon this and perhaps share, is what has God named you? Right? If names are really important in Scripture and the, the meaning of names kind of um, highlight the character of a person, whether it's the character, their character that they've exhibited, or if God is renaming someone we see in Scripture, that it's the character that they should or will exhibit. For instance, when Jesus named, renames Peter, right? Peter is not a rock by any stretch of imagination. He's like the reactionary person, right? The reed in the wind, maybe, should be his name. But Jesus names him the rock because upon him, his church will be built. Jesus sees something in Peter um, that he will live into. Does that make sense? And throughout our time, throughout your lives, you may uh, have called yourself something, or you may have been teased, or you may have defined yourself as something, but God calls you something different, right? So that's kind of what, it's kind of like, oh, we're going to exercise our spiritual kind of discernment stuff. We're going to sit and think about, reflect, what have you called yourself, you know, in the past? Uh, what kind of legacy um, do you come from? What are um, the generational struggles or sins in your, in your past? And then, and then take some time to pray and listen to what is God calling me? What has he called me? Does that make sense or is that too abstract? 
too right brain. All right, we can do it. So let's take some time. I can put some music on. I think it's interesting that at the end of chapter five, uh, Lamech becomes the father of Noah. And he names him Noah, and then he says, this one will give us relief from our hard work, from the pain in our hands, because of the fertile land that the Lord cursed. And if we remember, the, cursed Lord, the Lord cursed the land because of Adam and Eve's uh, sin, and said that man was cursed to toil and labor hard uh, to bring fruit from the land. Um, but even in the name, uh, in the naming of Noah is a prayer and a blessing, right? A call, a call out to God to say, this one will perhaps give us relief from this toil, um, will give us grace um, in the midst of the land being cursed. And so um, I just love the grittiness and the humanness of that, right? Just wrestling with God, right? Praying and interceding constantly, pushing up against um, our, our circumstances, the situations that we find ourselves, and crying out to God saying, ah, oh, make this, a di rewrite this story, right? Make this different. Um, and God isn't a God who doesn't want people to disagree with him or, you know, question things or even like say, do something different. He wants us. That's what he wants. He wants to walk with us, right? He wants to wrestle with us uh, instead of you going off in a different direction to try to figure things out on your own or to, to hide yourself as Adam and Eve did. So um, let's continue to think about that as we worship and, and music and continue.